Welcome to Lunch Pell Sermons. My messages begin with the assumption that the Bible's teaching is simple. Love God, do good. With that simple message, the Spirit delivers divine haymakers that nudge us toward becoming better followers of Jesus. I hope this sermon helps you in living God's adventure for your life. We are now going to move on to our sermon. And when I had first planned our outdoor service, I had planned it for last week, as we know. And the topic was get wisdom, which was, you know, I was like, that's going to be great outside. You know, that'll, that'll work. You know, if people are hearing as we're here, you know, we'll be like, that, that's, that's good. That's good. You know, and I felt pretty, pretty, pretty good about that. You know, and then as I was realizing as uh, we were going to be switching it, I realized that today uh, the topic is a passionate romance from the Song of Songs. And I said, of all the things I don't think I would want to be outside preaching, is Song of Songs and a Passionate Romance, but here we are, we are outside looking at the Song of Songs, which is a part of your Bible that we often don't examine. Uh, it's not the kind of thing that you preach from. I don't actually remember hearing much preaching from the book, but it is certainly part of our Bible. And the book is indeed a love poem. And as we read through it today, you will say, that sounds like a love poem, which is exactly what it is. And the title of the book is Song of Songs, also sometimes called Song of Solomon. And uh, The idea of Song of Songs is like King of Kings or Lord of Lords. It's this idea that this is the greatest song of all. And it is written in the tradition of Solomon's wisdom. That background knowledge on the book is mostly unknown. So they don't know exactly who wrote it, but it's given the name Solomon like it's written like Solomon would have wrote it. And what makes people think that maybe Solomon didn't actually write this book is that Solomon has 700 wives and 300 additional women, giving him a total of 1,000 women who were romantic in his life. And that seems like a lot of women, right? That is, uh, so I, I don't, I'm not sure that we're going to take uh, uh, marital advice from Solomon. I, he, he's the wisest guy that we know of. Uh, but w when it comes to, to romance, uh, maybe this isn't his strength. And one of the things we, we find is how do we interpret this book? How do we understand this writing? As we begin to read it, one of the first things I'll let you know is that it is written as a dialogue. And so we have different people who are speaking in it. And so we have a she who speaks. We have a he who speaks. And so I will refer to them as she and he. And then there's a group of people, that, they're the friends. And um, so they are part of this group as well. And so they have a little bit of saying in this. I'm going to read the first part of song of songs for us, and then we'll talk a little bit more about it. Solomon's Song of Songs. She, let me kiss, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. 
Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. So as we begin, we you can get the, the passion uh, that is found in this book because it hits right away. And how do we interpret this? Like, what is, when we come to this, like, how do we pull out meaning for, for life in the church with something like this, where there's obviously this um, just intense love towards another person. Well, at times it's been taken as an ad allegory. And so it's, is it an allegory between God and Israel? Because there's this aspect of which God functions with Israel as the husband to wife. That's a possibility. Um, there's also an idea that this is an allegory, and in the Christian tradition, we would hold that it's an allegory of Christ's love for the church. And so this idea of husband and wife, again, is once used with Christ and the church. And so it, for a long time, was interpreted allegorically. More recently, however, people have been like, no. I think it is what it is, um, which is uh, a poem of much passion and much affection. And, you know, we look at this idea of kisses, and this is where the writing begins as the she says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. You know, we actually talked about kisses a couple of weeks ago when we were looking at the book of First Peter. And at the end of the book of First Peter, we're told to greet one another with a kiss. These appear to be two different kinds of kisses. And so in First Peter, we have this uh, kiss uh, that comes from a way of affectionately greeting people in a cultural way. And then we have... Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, which seems to be a little bit more than just cultural greeting. This is passion. In this book, we find the wooing of each of these two characters, the she and the he, who will express their great desire for the other person. And maybe you're out there thinking, what? I didn't know this was in the Bible. Are you, are you sure? Does your Bible have the same stuff that my Bible has? Yeah, it does. You know, maybe you thought the Bible was a book of, uh, of puritanical rules that were simply supposed to be followed. You're supposed to do this and do that. And, well, as we find the Bible, it's a book that is filled with many things and many different genres. And perhaps this is a genre that is new to you. So how did it end up in the Bible? I feel like that's a reasonable question when we come to something like the Song of Songs. Like, how did this thing end up in here? You know, how is it considered part of the, the theological term that we would use for this is the canon? How is it part of the canon of scriptures? In other words, how is it one of the official books of scripture in such a way that we consider it authoritative and inspired writing? Well, it comes out of the Jewish tradition. And as the Jewish 
tradition, they were setting aside their final books of what they would call their Hebrew scriptures, of what we would call the Old Testament. And it was actually in the year 90 AD. So it was after the time of Jesus, after the time of the book of Acts that we have seen. And the Jewish religious leaders gather together at something that is called the Council of Jamnia. And they are going to finalize their scripture. And one of the books that they finalize is this one here, the Song of Songs. And so at that point, they're using it as scripture, but they must make that final decision. Is, are we going to accept this into our canon? And then in that year, it is officially certified, stamped, and sealed as part of our scripture. And so that is how we end up with it in the Christian tradition, because we accept the Old Testament once again, what they would call the Hebrew Bible uh, as part of our authoritative scripture. Let's keep reading from the Song of Songs. I'm going to pick up where I left off. The friends are now talking. We rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. She, how right they are to adore you. Dark am I, yet lovely. Daughters of Jerusalem, dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My son, mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. My own vineyard I had to neglect. Tell me, you whom I love, will you graze your flock and wear the rest of your sheep at midday? Why should I be like a veiled woman besides the flock of your friends? So the she, the first thing she does as we find her speaking here is that she laments her unworthiness. She feels that she is not good enough for the he. And the reason why is because her skin has been darkened by the sun. What we would call a tan. She has a tan, and she's worried that, oh, no, I won't be liked as much. I won't be considered as attractive as much. And it's strange. We have, like, a different cultural views on tans, even today in our world in different parts of the country. Some people want a tan. Some people don't want a tan. And as we think of what it was like in the uh, America, so in the, the 19th century, it was considered fashionable to not have a tan because just like this woman, if you had t skin that was burned by the sun, it meant you had to work outside. And in the agrarian world, that meant you were out there working and um, putting your effort in. And if you had fair skin, that meant you were such a status that you didn't have to go and work outside like those regular old people. And then as we move into the 20th century, and we became in a more industrialized society, a tan becomes fashionable, right? Because when you're inside in the factory working away, you've got no sun. But if you get to go on vacation, you get to go rest at the beach, then you get a little sun and everyone's like, oh, you have leisure time because your skin is a little darker. Well, she and our story comes from the agrarian culture 
she does not feel beautiful enough for he. She's worried that she won't be able to grab his affection by her appearance. And then the shifting emotions, she begins to think, hey, I'm better than the other ones, though. Why would you go chasing after them when you can have me? And as she says, why should I be like the veiled women beside the flock of your friends? Oh, the shifting emotions of affection. Have you ever been besotted? Have you ever been love-struck? Has there been that moment when someone just made your heart beat a little faster, that made your breath go a little bit more, that person who just, for whatever reason, got your attention? So have you ever been love-struck? If, if you've made it at least through part of middle school, the answer is probably yes. That at some point in time, that was probably the case for you. Do you remember? Do you remember those moments? Why do we remember them? Because those passions are so strong. The passion of affection and romantic attraction is so strong that it stays with us. And now, as you look back, maybe it was recently for you, maybe it was longer for you, but you can still remember that moment. And indeed, romance has an unmatched passion. It fills the radio. It fills the pop songs around us. It fills the movies around us. It fills the books around us. I went to one of those little free libraries, you know, those neighborhood libraries where you can share books, and I was looking for a particular genre, and as I opened up and looked through it, half the thing was romance novels, which was not the genre I was looking for, but it just reminds us of the, the power of that attraction. Let's keep reading. I'm going to pick up where I left off in Song of Songs. This is the friends. If you do not know most beautiful of women, follow the tracks of the sheep and graze your young goats by the tents of the shepherd. He, so he has entered into the story. I liken you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. Will you make your earrings of gold studded with silver. She, while the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyards of En Gedi. As we meet the he character, we begin this use of many metaphors because this is a poetic nature of writing. It is, and in this form of writing, there is the use of many metaphors. And one of the metaphors that he uses is he says, I liken you, my darling. First, we're going to stop on that word darling. 
And so that's a word that's not used throughout the scripture much, but it is used in the book of Song of Songs. And it is this affection. The word darling is just the idea. That affection, that, that love that you have for someone, that you might call them darling. That's how he is referring to she. And he compares her. He says, I liken you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's chariot horses. He says she's like a horse. That's what he says. And uh, I, I feel bad for the he guy in, the, in this character because I feel like that, that feels like a he thing to say, doesn't it? My, my lovely, you are so beautiful. You remind me of a horse. A real horse. And, you know, we, hey. She's, she's so besotted, though, that, you know, when, when you're like that, she'll be like, oh, he thinks I'm a war horse, right? Uh, so he, he says, you're like a horse. And obviously, as he says that, he is thinking of an elegant creature, an elegant creature. And he looks upon she and sees her elegance. And he refers to her jewelry and with her adornments that she has added. She appears even more enticing. And then she responds to he and calls him beloved, which is this word that once again is used almost exclusively in the Song of Songs. And it is the idea, beloved is this great idea that is able to convey, you are special to me. This isn't just, hey, I love you. you. You're the one that makes my heart beat a little faster. You're the one that takes my breath away. You are the beloved. And then she speaks of her perfumes of myrrh and henna. The aroma of attraction. The luring of these aromas, right? And as I uh, live in a building with other people, and as I ride the elevator, sometimes I smell perfume on the elevator, right? Or I smell cologne. I smell people. You know, I smell what was left over. And it's never in the morning when people are going to work, right? <laughs> the elevator just doesn't smell in the morning when people are going to work. But on a Friday evening... You might pick up the aromas, the aromas of attraction, the aromas of affection. And one other thing that comes through the Song of Songs as well is many pastoral images. There are many uses of animals and fields and plants. It is the reminder of a garden, a beautiful garden. And as we think of a beautiful garden, it takes us back to the very beginning of romantic attraction. It takes us back to Adam and Eve. And before the fall, as Adam and Eve are created, we're told that God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. There was attraction in the garden, pure attraction, not stained with sin, but like God intended. And we're also told of Adam and Eve that 
This is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united in his wife, and they, that they may become one flesh before the fall. And as we think of this love that people have in a romantic relationship, there is a pureness to it. And so often we, we don't exercise the pureness of it, right? So often it's not used like it should, but it was created by God. And it was created to be good. We're going to read the final section of our passage today. He is speaking. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful your eyes are doves. She, how handsome you are, my beloved. Oh, how charming our bed is for dot. He, the beams of our house are cedars, our rafters are firs. She, I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. He, like a lily among thorns, is my darling among the young women. And once again, we see that garden image shining through this idea of roses and lilies and verdant, this lush meadow. We also see he, typical he, he's like, you know what? I built you a good house, right? It's cedar and fir. It's strength. I built you a strong house. And she, of course, is completely smitten. So what shall we do? What shall we do with something like this as we read it? What shall we do with this passionate love that God has bestowed upon us? Well, the first thing is, is that we, we must be in control of it. And we must remain master over it. We can never let our passions be master over us. Because this passion can form deep relationships. And the deepness of those relationships is for both good and bad. And as we think of this passion between the he and the she and a story of Song of Songs, we are reminded of the marriage metaphor of which we spoke of earlier, between God and God's people. And when God's people were unfaithful, it was always described as an act of adultery, a betrayal of the marriage covenant. That was how egregious being unfaithful to God. So what does a, a passage like this mean to people who have been married for decades? You know, and I, as I look around, we, we have some people who, 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 who have had relationships that have lasted a long time, relationships uh, that have come to an end. So how do we come and think of what does it mean for us today? You know, because we see Song of Songs, and it feels like something for people in their teens, doesn't it? It feels the youthfulness of young adults, and certainly it speaks to those people. But we find is that passion fuels a relationship. And while your relationship can go on for decades, and you probably don't experience that same shortness of breath and the fluttering of heart, and you may not think of yourself as love struck 
after decades of marriage, you still remember that moment, don't you? You still remember that moment when you first met. You still remember those early months after meeting that person. And the power of that moment carries on. It stays with you through a relationship. I'm going to tell you a story about Bill and Glad. And I, I feel most certain that I'm going to tell the story poorly. I'm going to leave something out that will be helpful. And so on our email list, the email is going to be coming out uh, shortly after our service. That's going to provide a link uh, to uh, this story. So you can watch the videos that I watch uh, that will help you learn more about the story of Bill and Glad. And so Bill and uh, Glad had been, have been married for 50 years. I met met as young people, knew each other and ch as children. And uh, by their late teens, were passionately in love with one another. Soon thereafter, begin to form a family and marriage, children come, living many years together. But glad the wife began to suffer from Alzheimer's. And after a few years, was unable to care for herself. So you probably guess where this is going. Bill, her husband, steps in and begins to take care of Glad's every need. From brushing her hair, to putting on makeup, to making sure that she was dressed, caring for every need that she has. And Bill was so proud of his wife that he wanted to get her outside. And he had been for, in a culture where people rode bikes a lot. So he says, I, I want to get my wife outside. I love her. I want to be outside with her. Well, of course, Glad is in no condition to ride a bike. So Bill has a special bike made that has a seat on the front with a seat belt so Glad can be put in. And he is behind her pedaling away. And of course, as they're out, the bike gathers attention. So people will come up and say, hey, what's going on? And there is Bill and Glad pedaling his wife around the area. And I just have to tell you about Glad's helmet. Because on Glad's helmet, Bill has added a tiara. And the reason that he has added a tiara is because he says, Glad, you are my princess. And I am your William. And we love each other. And as you look at Glad's eyes, I'm not sure that she remembers loving Bill. But Bill remembers loving her. So how does a man go through such actions for his wife? It's because he is filled with passion for her. The passion of youthful love. Sure, the heart may not flutter like it once did. 
but the passion of youthful love is powerful in attracting one another. And it can stay with you. And it can empower someone like Bill to care for his wife. Certainly we have those among us who've lost love. Perhaps after years of marriage, or maybe not so many, that relationship has ended. Maybe that person's no longer with us. And you fulfilled your vow right to the very end. And as you look back, I hope you remember the passion of that relationship. And as you miss that person now, and as the thought of them still brings hurt to you, I hope you can look back and remember those moments of attraction. Those moments when you were both love struck. And I hope the joy of that moment soothes the pain of your heart now. Let me pray for us. Thanks for listening to Lunch Pell Sermons. Now it's time to put these words into action and go live our adventure. Let's love God and do good.